One other thing. Um, I know that there are people in here who are 55 and old, older, over, and uh, many of you come to Prime Timers already. I just want to encourage you. It is such a great time. I've enjoyed going. I went before I was 55 and older and then have, have kept going. And uh, I enjoy it. It's a good, good, good time. So I'm excited about today. I wanted to talk with you about this for a, for a while. And, um, you, you know, we live in a different world. I know I mentioned that in prayer that our young people live in a different world than we lived in. And one, one thing that I think I've learned over the years, I feel like I'm a more humble learner now than I ever have been. Do you guys ever feel like that? I mean, I know more. But I realize there's more I don't know. Do you guys ever feel like that? I was talking to somebody, this has been a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, and uh, they said something to me that really caught me off guard. My initial reaction was to say, that's not true. Right? And then I thought, well, wait a minute. And I'm, I'm telling you this on purpose because I feel like this is a way for us to communicate to skeptics, unbelievers, people who we, you know, I thought, you know what? I don't know everything. Right? You can, you can say yes. <laughs> so I said, what do you mean by that? What do you mean? I'm just curious. I don't understand what you're saying. What are you talking about? Now, this, this idea is something I honestly think all of us should adopt as Christians, as people. Because we don't know everything. Right? And we need to listen to what other people have to say. Because there's things we don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And, and we don't know things. Right? 2,500 years ago, Plato used this analogy of a cave. Some of you may have learned of this in school or at some point in your life, but he talked about this cave, and, and he was speaking it from, from the perspective as a philosopher because he was frustrated that he had all these wonderful ideas and people just didn't understand his ideas. And in the case of his teacher, Socrates, Socrates actually was forced to commit suicide for his ideas. And so here's the story. He says this story about a cave where these prisoners are locked up their entire lives in a cave. And they're facing the background. So all they see, like if I'm looking down here right now, I see four shadows of myself. And they're all a little different. They're representations of me, but they're not me, right? So all they saw on the wall were these shadows. And there was a pathway behind them. And people would walk along the pathway. And on the other side of the pathway was a fire that would... And you know how fire shadows are. They just move around and they look so strange. And, but that was the only reality that those guys knew. That at one point, one of them is, is freed and he goes outside the cave and then he sees the world as it really is. And at first, the sunlight is painful to him to see this new knowledge and then to see things that he didn't even know existed in the real forms. And he, he kept thinking about the shadows and thinking, but that's real. And no, this is real. And then once he realized this was real... He couldn't wait to go tell his friends. And then when he went to tell them, they thought he was crazy. They said, no, that's not real. Your experience isn't real. This is real. You see what's happening there? So this happens to me on a regular basis where I get my, do you guys get your eyes checked? You know, those little color wheels you see. Can you show one of those real quick? So you see these color wheels. Uh, What do you guys see in there? Okay, I promise you, I see nothing. They're all grays, little colors. Go ahead and show the next one. I see that one. That's a five. Got that one. All right. Let's go to the next one. Where? Okay, anybody with me yet? Anybody not see a seven? Seriously? Okay, like five? Serious? Okay, what's next? 
Where? I do not see it. I don't see it, seriously. What's that one? Go ahead, go to the next one. Okay, go ahead. Okay, what's next? What's next? Okay, I barely see a one there. I do see a one there. It's bare. I barely see it, but I do see that. Okay, what's next? A, th- a three. I barely see the three. I can, uh, kind of. Uh, kind of. Nothing. Nothing. Okay, anything else? Here's the problem. All right? So when I take a test like that, they tell me I'm red, green, deficient. All right? Because I see red and green. I just don't see it like you. So years ago, I, I was mentioning this to one of my classes at school. One of the students in school is, is legit colorblind. He sees no color. So his parents bought him these glasses, these sunglasses that you can wear outside that show you what the world really looks like. And he brought them to school one day, and I, wa- I looked at it. I was blown away. Because I see color. I see red and green. I just don't see it like you. So what's real? If... If I see something and say it's not green or there's nothing there, is that true? Well, for me, but is it true? No, No, it's there. I just don't see it. Do you see the problem here? Is it possible that we live in a world where some people don't see what you see yet? And it's not real to them yet? How do you get them to see it? I mean, seriously, it's there, it's real, but if they deny it's real, does that change the reality of it being there? No, I know that those wheels or those circles had numbers. I know there's numbers in there. I just don't see them. But if I deny they're there, does that change the fact that they're there? No. Whether it's for me or not, it's still there. Here's the thing. We live in a world today where people are saying things aren't real or doesn't. And, and just because you say that doesn't make it that way. It doesn't change the reality of the thing. I can claim that there's no cliff, but if I walk off it, I still fall. That's real. There's a lot of things happening today. Christianity is under attack from a lot of places. I mean, it just is. And, And it's different today because some of it's coming from people who were hurt in church. Or maybe people who were bored with church. Or they felt like it didn't work for them. Or... Um, maybe they believed the wrong thing about church or whatever. What do you do with that? I really believe as Christians, I believe God is creating a harvest. You know, these 21 baptisms we had are, are awesome. And I think that's just the beginning of what God is doing. But he uses you to do that. You have to be able to show people the light. You have to, peop- you have to gently somehow bring people out of their cave and into the real world and show them this is reality. It's real. I know what's going to happen now because this happens anytime I mention this. People say, hey, what color am I wearing? I, I can see colors. I just don't see it like you. Now, if you showed me one of those color things and you said there's a one in there and I don't see it, again, it doesn't change the fact there's a one there just because I don't see it. My opinion about what's real doesn't change what's real. So here's what's happening a little bit. Let me just, let me just do it this way. Um, and this is, you can raise your hand or not if you don't feel comfortable, but anybody here ever dressed out a deer? If you know what I'm talking about, you know what that is. If you have not, listen, okay, follow me here. When I said dress out a deer, those of you know what I mean, you know what I mean. If I describe to you right now what I mean, it is gruesome. It's gruesome, right? 
Talking about cutting open a deer and pulling all its entrails out, I'm not trying to be weird. I'm just saying nobody does that, right? Anybody here slaughtered a cow? Anybody ever ate a hamburger? Anybody plucked a chicken? So I was in Mexico years ago. We were, we were working on this church, and we were working in the pastor's home. I had a little bit of work left to do, and all day, this chicken had been all around our feet, just running all around, all around. And uh, I had a little bit more work to do, so one of the, one of the high school students, well, a, a guy and a girl in the high school group, they stayed behind. Everybody else went back to the campground. And while we were there, we got done with the work, and we're getting ready to leave, and the pastor's wife comes out and says, you have to join us for dinner. We're so grateful for everything you did. She goes, you have to join us. What am I going to say? Like, okay, yes. I mean, that's, that's her gratitude literally from her heart and her hands to us. So we sit down to eat. Now, she, they, they didn't speak. They spoke a little English, but not very much at all. My students that were with me, they didn't speak any Spanish. I was kind of the mm, interpreter, not very good. But So the girl with me, she says, this chicken has hair all over it. And I looked down, and I realized, and I said to her, yeah, did you notice that chicken running around is no longer running around? <laughs> that chicken is right now on your plate. And right away, she's like, I can't eat that chicken. I named that chicken. You know, and she goes into this whole thing. I gave that chicken a name. I'm like, well, now you're going to eat that chicken because this dear woman has killed her chicken for you. We don't live in that world anymore, do we? So what happens is when people are confronted with that kind of thing, they look at it and they think it's gross, right? So here in the church, a lot of times we talk about the blood and we talk about the cross and we talk about things that have changed everything. And the world, somehow they're so far from that that to them it seems gruesome and gross. And how could God ever do that? Why would he kill his son? Somebody said, they, I've heard this said, it's cosmic child abuse for God to kill his son. To force his son to die on a Roman cross. I've never worked in a slaughterhouse. I know people who have, and they tell me how the smell is something you never forget. And it's on you. And when you come home from work, you've got to shower and clean and keep your clothes outside because the smell is so overwhelming. We don't live in that world. So what happens a lot of times, are we take our 21st century sensibilities and we apply them to a world that, that is different and, and a standard that's different. And what we do, it's kind of like that eye test where I say, I can't see that world, so not only does it not exist, and I don't like it, and a God I would love wouldn't do that. We literally put ourselves in the place and say, we judge God. I get it, though. I do, I understand it, because it's weird to think about. So you have to consider, why would God do that? Why would he do that? Why would he do it? What, would God really do something that doesn't fit my world anymore, or my worldview? Would he do it? What if I think he should have done it differently? What if I think it shouldn't be that way? Do we rewrite scripture because I don't like the way it reads? And since I say that I wouldn't do it that way, does that mean he shouldn't have done it that way? In Elisa Childers' book, Another Gospel, she tells a story about a mom, and I'm sure this has happened to all of us, because if you're a parent, this has probably happened. You know where kids come home and they use a word that you never use at your house? You know what I'm talking about? Well, in this case, the mom 
um, had told the child they couldn't do something, and the child responded uh, in anger and defiance, and they used a word they'd learned at school at their mom. So what did the mom do? Well, the mom told the child, look, we don't talk like that. That word is not acceptable in our house, and it's a very, very bad word. Do not, you're all thinking of words right now, aren't you? Don't call them out. I'm not asking for that. She said, never use that word again, and never to me, and never to an adult. And then she punished the child, put him in timeout, or whatever she did. She used that example because a question might come up, well, wait a minute. If a mother who loves her child can punish the child and then forget, why can't God do that? Why? I mean, the mom didn't send the child to hell, right? Why didn't God do that? Why did he require a sacrifice? Why would he require his son to be sacrificed for sin? If a loving, I mean, what can be said or has been said is that some people look at this and they say, how can a human mom be kinder and nicer than God? Isn't God loving? And yet he requires more from us. Here's the thing, though. You're not comparing the same things. It's not the same. A child learning what, what words are bad and not bad and when to use them and not is not the same as the sin God is punishing here. And the fact is, the mom did punish that child. It didn't happen like that. And the truth of the matter is, unpunished sin does have consequences. And it would for that child. Had that child not been punished for that and kept using that word, what would have happened the next time an adult authority figure corrected that child and they used that word? It could have been really bad. If you use that at school to your teacher, what happens? There should be some different discipline, right? If, you use that chi- if that word, child would have used that word in a different context, I mean, there could have been vi- I mean, it could have been really bad. The fact is, unpunished sin, there are consequences. And a lot of times we don't see them or we wash over them and we don't realize how bad it is. The truth is, prisons are full of people who disrespect authority and have avoided consequences until they didn't. The fact is, sin is real and it really hurts people. The fact is, it hurts the ones who do it. it. It eats away at their soul and their character, and then it also affects the people around them. You might ask, why is God angry at sin? And I would ask you, why aren't you? Why aren't I? We all make excuses for our sin, don't we? We're really quick to judge other people, but we give ourselves a pass. And we look at every opportunity to define why it was okay for me to act this way in this certain situation. But then she did this, and I cannot forgive her. Or he did this, and I'm not going to talk to him ever again. Right? We wink at sin. We, we make excuses for our own sin. We ignore or we blame it. Why did God make rules at all? I mean, why did he even make rules? Why, why is there even such a thing as when I do something wrong, it's considered sin and wrong? I mean, why? Couldn't he have made a world where there was no sin and nothing wrong? Sure. That would have been a world full of robots, though. The fact is, he wanted a real relationship where you choose to serve him. And for there to be free will, then there has to be an opportunity to be good and an opportunity to be bad. There has to be both. You can't have one without the other. The thing is, God made rules, and rules are good. You ever played tag without boundaries? You remember that when you were a kid? Remember how frustrating it was when you had that one kid who was super fast and he just ran forever? And you're like, this is silly. There's no game here anymore. He just ran. I think lines on the highway are good. Don't you? You ever thought about that? 
Aren't you really hoping that people on the road stay in the lines? Have you ever been on a winding road and as you're driving, you're praying to God that the person coming the other way is staying in the lines? Have you ever had that happen where the fog is so thick that you can't see the lines and you slow down and you pray, Jesus, please let everybody else behind me slow down. And everybody coming, help them stay in the lines. I couldn't even count how many times I've driven a bus in Mexico. There's no way. So many times. Our bus that we had for years in LA, it was a huge bus. It was so big that I was sometimes looking down at truckers, which is hilarious when you're driving by and they're like, really? I'm like, hey, what's up, brother? You know, like, like I'm even the same. It's not the same. But still, it was that big a bus. So there were times where I would drive in Mexico and the roads were so narrow. And they're not built for buses or trucks, but buses and trucks are on them. I'm on them. And I've got a busload of students who I dearly care about. And I want them safe. And their parents have trusted me to take them into a foreign country and bring them home again. And I've been driving on, that, on those highways and, and they're curvy and you're in little mountains and you're just thinking, oh Lord, please let everybody come in the other way. Stay in the lines. Because it's all I can do to keep this. Bu-. There's times where I'm looking in my mirror and I can see my front tire is in the line and my back tire is barely in the same line as we're taking a curve. I remember, I'll never forget, this happened many times, but this one time was the worst ever, where I'm seeing this guy coming. We're going up a hill, I can see him. And he's in a big bus, and they drive so fast. And I'm driving my bus, and I, I was watching that, that, that uh, there was no shoulder, and I'm watching the pavement on this side, and my, what I was doing is keeping my front right tire on the edge of that pavement. Because you know, if you slip off, then you're off. I mean, I, I gotta stay right there. And if I can stay right there, then I know the rest of the bus is in the lines. But if he doesn't stay in the lines, it doesn't do any good for me to stay in the lines. And I remember seeing him come and I was watching him cut the corners. You know how people do that, right? To make it a little smoother, you just, because you don't wanna throw yourself, so you just cut that corner just a little bit. And I'm watching him do that and I'm, I'm, I'm praying, oh God, oh God. And I hear students like, Pastor Dennis, why are you praying? Uh, no, no reason. You know, <laughs> hmm. I'll never forget, I was holding the line, and I'm holding the line, holding the line, holding the line, I'm watching right there. I dare not look at him, you know, for a lot of reasons, it would scare me, but then also, you know, you don't want to drift. I'm looking at that line, looking at that line, and I feel, as he goes by, and I feel him clip my mirror, and it's clunk, clunk, and I'm like, hmm. So I wait till it's clear, and I look, and the mirror's gone, <laughs> I'm like, and I'm looking, I'm like, Mirror's gone. And everybody's like, what happened? Nothing. Mm. Even now, man, I felt that. Lines are good. Lines protect you. They protect you. They provide for you. When they're violated, it's a scary bad thing. Lines are good. You know, the average car now weighs right around 2,000 pounds. No, 4,000 pounds, they're saying. Two tons. They're going up in average because SUVs and trucks are so much more popular. But do you know the, the average EV weighs a thousand more than the same car because of the weight of the batteries? I was kind of shocked at that. I don't know. I was just looking for weights of cars. The electric, oh, uh, electric vehicle, sorry. The electric Ford F-150, they say, weighs 1,600 pounds more than the gasoline equivalent vehicle. I don't know how many of you are going to buy the electric Hummer when it's more available, but um, if you do, that dude weighs 9,000 pounds. (laughs) 9,000 pounds. I don't know how many driveways could hold that. But anyway, 
I want those guys to stay in the lines. Are you with me on this? Do you get it? I want you to stay in the lines because it matters. God's laws are meant to protect and provide for us. He gave us this world and he said, do it like this. And then what happened is in the garden, it started there and the enemy says to Eve, did God really say, can't you do this? Can't you do that? Can't you bend it a little here and violate it there? Think about lying. Think about what happens when we lie and trust is broken and security is gone. And the fact is you start to doubt and you start to worry and you wonder what else is going on and what are they not telling you? And then envy. Think about why envy is wrong. What it does is it, it sucks away your satisfaction in what you have because you're thinking about something else and you're never truly grateful. You can't really be, have gratitude and you don't trust and you don't appreciate what you have. Think about stealing. Have you ever been stolen from? You know what it's like for your personal space to be violated that way? Maybe your car or worse, your home. It's, it's weird. You don't think of things the same. You appreciate things differently because you've been violated that way. Can you imagine the world if people followed Jesus' sexual ethic? Seriously. Think about the world. How it would be different. I just listed a few things off the top of my head. Happy, trust-filled marriages. No divorce. No worries of sexually transmitted diseases. No worries of past relationships. Memories crowding in. No soul ties of emotional entanglements. No kids born out of the right time. No abortions. No rape. There'd be no me too. You wouldn't need that. No porn. No sex trafficking. People look at it and you... You look at a world and you think, why would God do this? You know why? He hates sin. He hates it. He hates it. He hates it because of what it does to you. He hates it because of what it does to others. He hates it because of what it does to relationships. He hates it because of what it does to society. He hates it because he hates what it does to countries. He hates what it does to his children. He sees the pain it brings and he hates that. He doesn't want that. He, he hates the destruction that he sees, the abuse, the killing, the torture, the emotional pain, the disappointment, the evil. He hates that. Listen to this carefully. It's loving for him to hate sin. You ever think about that? It's the most loving thing you could do is to hate the thing that hurts your children. You know how it is. You know mama bears. What is that about? You love your kids. You want them happy and healthy and whole and safe. And you want people to treat them like you would. Hmm. He's, it's loving to hate sin. I'm gonna, uh, it, he would be a moral monster if he did not hate sin. He would be a moral monster if he did not hate sin. He would be a moral monster if he didn't punish sin. You can't hate sin and not punish it. God hates sin. He's holy. He can't abide sin in his presence. To show us how serious it is, he covered the first sin with a sacrifice. Most people read right over this and they don't realize it. You realize in the garden there was no death. There was no killing. It didn't happen. But look, let's look at this. In verse chapter, Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, this is after they've eaten the fruit and all that. When the cool evening breezes were blowing... 
the man and his wife heard the Lord walking around in the garden. It's hard for me to read this and not just ache a little inside. Do you realize God walked with them in the garden? He wants to walk with you now. They hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord called to the man, where are you? He knew where they were. He called to emphasize the fact that they were hiding from him. He could have just brushed back the leaves and like, hey, see ya, caught ya. They're already caught. They knew it inside. He replied, the man replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you're naked? The Lord asked. You've eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat. Then, of course, what does the man do? Right away, throws the woman under the bus. It was a woman you gave me. Gave me the fruit to eat it. And he looks at the woman. What have you done? And she says, it was the serpent. Not much has changed, huh? And in verse 21, the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. What would you have done if you were God right then? What would you have done? Would you have started over? There's been literally volumes of books written on this passage of scripture. Would you have done any different if you were God right there? What if you were Adam and Eve? Do you think you would have chose different? We don't choose different now. I mean, we're offered the fruit every day, right? And we sin, and we make mistakes, and we fall short. God in his goodness, though, he didn't start over. Instead, what he does is he pursues a relationship with mankind from that moment on. He covers their sin and he shows them the seriousness of it, that it cost a life, cost blood, had to be paid for. And he sets up this system, the sacrificial system that we look at today and we're just horrified by it. I think the problem is we're not horrified by sin enough to understand the seriousness of it. So we look at a sacrificial system and think that's gross, but we don't think the sin that, that, that necessitated it was gross. And we don't feel that. And we shield ourselves from that feeling of guilt and we feel like we're doing pretty good, right? Because I'm better than her, better than him. I don't know. The problem is that sacrificial system didn't change their hearts. It's just like when you were a kid and your parents punish you and then they say, okay, hug it out, right? Hug them. Give your sister a kiss. I never meant that kiss one time. Not one time. And my mouth would get me in trouble. I know, go figure. And I would eat soap and wash my mouth out and say it again. My heart wasn't changed, right? I remember telling that one time to young people in youth, and they're like, oh, your mom made you eat soap? I go, yep, the bar, I just bit a piece off. And they're like, well, imagine if it was the pump soap. <laughs> I'm like, okay, way worse. And then they said, yeah, my mom would make me wash it around in there. Like, oh, girl, okay, that's way worse. Did it change your heart, though? No, it doesn't change your heart. And I know there's some kids today, you know, I've seen parents do, I've seen this online where they'll put, like, maybe a brother and sister fighting, and then they'll make them wear one of dad's shirts together. Have you seen that? And they'll button it all up, and you're going to stay in that shirt till you get along. And what do you do? You're like, can we just act like we care for a minute so this, we're done with this, and we can move on and be back to ourselves? The thing about God is he doesn't play games. He wants the change. 
He loves you so much. Most people, I, I like to word it like this. We never leave our toddler morality mentality. You know what I'm talking about? Where you do the right thing just to avoid pain or to get, get some kind of uh, reward. Right? If you act good in Walmart, I'll give you candy. But our morality's not changed. What's sad is that's not much different than your dog, right? We have a good dog. But if something's on the counter and we're not there, she eats it. She's a good dog. But her fear of punishment clearly isn't enough to keep her from eating that. And she knows it's wrong because you hear her and you're like, what are you doing? And she's like, puts her head down. You're like, she knows, but it's not going to change. Her heart's not different. She wants that thing. Just like us. But God is different than us. And you get glimpses into it with your kids. And you know how it is. And you punish them. And you want them to change. You want their hearts different. But we're all his kids. And the scripture's clear. We've all sinned. We've all done things that are wrong. Every one of us. Now, I know sins are different. And I was, as I was talking, I guarantee you somebody was thinking, but what I do isn't that bad. I'm not that bad. But it's still bad. And it's still sin. And the fact is, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. The, the sin is still bad. But the beauty of it is God doesn't leave you in your sin. Even though we deserve to die, Jesus took our place. And that's what this verse, it says. And even, there's more that even talk about this. In, in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin that, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Do you understand that made right with God part? He makes you right. He changes it and makes you right. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we could be dead to sin and live for what is right. You can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you're healed. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. I love that. God isn't somebody who just throws you away when you sin. He loves you enough to restore you and the, the sacrifice was paid by Jesus and he brings you home. You know what it's like to go home? You know the comfort that is? To go home, to be welcomed home. He wants that for every one of us. He suffered physical death but was raised in life in the spirit. All those verses, they echo what Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Jesus. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. He was beaten so we could be whole. We all desire wholeness. And it was God's plan. It was his idea. The lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. When I first heard somebody say that it was cosmic child abuse. I thought, you don't, you don't get it. You don't get it. You don't get it. You're in a cave and you think the world has to conform to whatever you think it's like. It's not like that. Nick, if I could have you join me up here. It wasn't cosmic child abuse. It was the very reason Jesus came, to redeem people to God, to give us a way to have wholeness with him, to give us a way to come home to the Father. He wanted that more than anything. Plus, Jesus was a grown man. Not only that, <laughs> Jesus is God. He didn't have to hang on the cross. 
He didn't have to do it. At any moment, he could have come down. He could have called 10,000 angels. He didn't have to. He chose to do it because he also loves humanity. He said this was the reason he came. In John 10, 18, no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. He lays his life down. He takes it up again. But we have a problem still. It's this heart change things. I know many of you here are Christians and you live great lives. I know that. I know that. I know there may be people here who who don't know or don't understand or whatever. Here's the thing. We all struggle with sin. It's just who we are. And if you do, like the rest of us, we need a change in our nature. Paul writes extensively about this to the church in Romans. The entire book is filled with this kind of understanding of how God, who God is and how it works and what redemption means. And I just want to read with you just some scriptures out of Romans 8. He's telling this church, and I want you to hear this as if he's writing to you. He says to you, you are not controlled by your sinful nature. Man, I want that to be true, right? You are, you are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. So he might say, don't expect them to live like you should live because they don't have this. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. You've been made right with God. Do you see the theme here? Come home to God. Be made right. Be whole. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Because if we live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the spirit you put to death the deeds of the sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. Jesus made a way. He's the only way. Only through his sacrifice. This is it. Let me ask you to shut your eyes for a second. I have two questions. I know that there's people here who maybe you're struggling in your your Christian walk and you need help. Anybody like that? You, You would say, yes, I need help to live more like Christ. Some hands shot up really fast and I appreciate that honesty because mine's with you. There could be other people though that maybe you've never considered this before and as you've been listening to this You know, we talk about God speaking to us. I never hear a voice. I just have this impression from him. Maybe you've had that. Maybe you've had a sense of of uneasiness. And that can be God speaking to you where it's challenging you to think about this for a minute. And maybe for you, it's time and you look at it and you say, God, I want to be whole. I want to come home. I want to be at peace with you. And you realize the sin problem that I've been talking about is serious. And as disturbing as it is to think about, It took a death to save you, but he's there for you. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking, well, Pastor Dennis, if that's true, I need it. And I need his forgiveness today. Anybody like that? You just raise your hand. We'll just pray with you. I see that hand and I appreciate your honesty. I see that one too. Anybody else? Let's do this together. I'd like us all to do this together. Would you stand with me? And we're going to pray together. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and this prayer is a simple prayer. It's not, 
It's just simple. It just basically acknowledges the fact that we've done things that are wrong and we want to live different. It acknowledges that Jesus died for our sin and that we need him to have wholeness with God. That's what this, this prayer does. But I'm going to ask you to repeat this after me. And for those of you who raised your hand, I want you to especially mean it. But anybody else, you pray along. God works in these prayers. As we're praying, I'm going to ask this also. Those of you who are part of our prayer team, if you would make your way forward. And then after we pray this prayer, Pastor Nick's going to lead us a little bit. We're just going to take a moment. And if you need prayer for anything, anything, healing, filled with the Holy Spirit. If maybe, maybe you're one of those who raised your hand and you want prayer for, to just be prayed with to live that life. We want to pray with you. But I'd like everybody, as, as those who are prepared to pray come forward, I want us all to pray this prayer with me. So if you'd shut your eyes again, bow your heads, and just repeat after me. Father God, I'm sorry for the things that are wrong. I know sin is serious. And I'm sorry. I want to be whole with you. Please forgive my sins. Come live in me. Let your spirit help me live the right way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. If you'd like prayer for anything, please, please come and we'll pray for you. Anybody at all. As these up front of pray, and I want to just encourage you all to take advantage of the classes we have starting this week on Wednesdays. They will all strengthen your walk with Christ. We have a ladies group that Candace Logan is leading. They're studying the book of Hebrews. Vicki Riley is teaching on So the Next Generation Will Know. It's a wonderful book by Sean McDowell about how to prepare your kids and grandkids to face this world that is so difficult. Vicki Marriott is teaching a book by Charles 
uh, Allen called God Psychiatry, where it, it goes through some beautiful passages. The 23rd Psalm, the Ten Commandments, the Lord Prayer, Beatitudes. We have a really cool class being taught by Terry M. Porter, where they will do they will do uh, Bible study, but also learn to knit. If you've never learned or want to knit together, it'd be a lot of fun to do that. So I want to encourage you to take advantage of those things. In the name of Jesus. God bless you today. Please greet some folks as you head out. And those who are praying, or if you still want prayer, we are here for you to pray. God bless you. Have a great day in Christ. Thank <clears throat> you.